The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning, guys. My name is Darren Smith, Senior Pastor here at Tower View Baptist Church. It's good to have you this morning. Thank you for joining us. We're so grateful you're here. If you're watching this on the internet or you're listening to it after all the Sunday that we record this, December 6, 2020, comes to pass. Thank you for joining us. We are here to know, grow, share, and serve Jesus Christ in a gospel-centered way. That's what we're here to do. So it's good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you are new to Christianity or you're not a Christian, we especially want to welcome you. And I pray that you'll listen intently as we'll have specific times during this sermon that speak to you. If you're a Christian, I pray today's word encourages you as we go through these times. So let's read. Uh, our, our title today is called The Virgin Birth of Jesus Christ. The Virgin Birth of Jesus Christ, starting in Matthew 1, 18 down to verse 25, the end of the chapter. This is what God's Word says. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with the child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She, verse 21, will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When, verse 24, Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Today, the importance of the practical reality, and all the things that come with the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And I want to go over that with you today as we go through our time together. So let's pray together. It's good to see you. Let, may God be glorified in our time. And uh, it's, it, it's, it's such an encouragement if you're watching or you're listening to this. Thank you for your time. And there's a lot of places you could be. But God has providentially in his plan brought you here at this time. So let's study to the glory of his name and the praise of his name. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, that we have all things in Christ. That, Father, in your Son, and only in your Son, is there salvation, forgiveness of sins. For he is the true God, Father. There is no other God in this universe. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, blessed Trinity, three in one, we thank you so much. Father, we pray these things today, and especially for those watching who don't know Christ, that they too would come to know that reality. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, this morning... We are looking at the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to set down my Bible here for just a second. But a number of years ago, CNN, or former CNN superstar Larry King, who is, I think, in his 80s now, it's hard to believe, he was asked who he would most like to have on his talk show. He was famous, Larry King was, for having talk shows with lots of people involved. 
And, and one of those he named, of course, was Jesus Christ. And when questioned as to why, Larry said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin-born, because the answer to that question, in my opinion, King said, would define history. And I think Larry King is on to something there. Predicted in Isaiah 7.14 that we just read, and recorded in Matthew 1 and in Luke 1, what we have are the few teachings about our Lord and about uh, his wonderfully adored and fiercely attacked birth. You mean a search on the internet, I just did a quick Google search on my phone, came up with over 2.7 million uh, sites on the subject, and I'm sure there's more. That's just a quick search. But until the modern era, with all its anti-supernaturalism, with all its, all its uh, bias, uh, the church with one voice affirmed that Jesus was born of a virgin. I'm going to quote some of the old, uh, we call them creeds and confessions. They're just documents that we brought together um, to explain clearly what we believe in, and, and unify us in those things. They're not Bible, but they're based on the Bible. And so the Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest creeds said, and who was conceived by the Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The Nicene Creed, adopted at the Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., said he was incarnate by the Holy, Jesus was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, and the Virgin Mary made man. The Athanasian Creed, about 450, said that he, we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, is God and man. He was begotten before the world, and the man substance of his mother. Or how about the Chalcedonian Creed in AD 51? It said, uh, Begotten for us, Jesus was, for men and for our salvation, and of Mary the Virgin. Or what about the Westminster Confession of Faith for all my Presbyterian friends out there? says that Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking himself a true body and reasonably being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her yet without sin. Well, one of the Baptist historical documents, the London Baptist Confession, says it this way. Being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit came down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her, so made a woman of the tribe of Judah to the seed of Abraham according to the Scriptures. And finally, a Southern Baptist, our Baptist faith and message says this. It says, Christ is the eternal Son of God, and in his Excuse me, in his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So why do I bring all this up? I bring it up because it's so important to understand. Today, the picture is altogether different. Today, with more and more voices consigning the virgin birth to the dustbin of myth, fable, wives' tales, legends, or outright lies. So as we come to this important doctrine of our faith, we need not do what Thomas Jefferson said. He said the day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus in the womb of a virgin will be classified with the fable of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. In other words, it's going to be something there. Or what Shelby Spall, who, who is a liberal Christian, said. He said in time the virgin birth will join Adam and Eve and the story of the ascension as recognized mythological elements in our faith tradition to whose purpose was not to describe a literal historical event, but to capture the transcendent dimensions of God and the earthbound words and concepts of first century human beings. Sometimes it's harder to believe the lies than it is just to simply believe the truth. Friends, we know what Isaiah 7.14 says. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall, you shall call his name Emmanuel. 
The Bible does not present the virgin birth of Jesus Christ as any myth, fable, or mythological element. It presents it as historical fact. And rather, it, is, it presents it as a supernatural in, in process by which God invades space and time and comes to live amongst his people. The problems with the virgin birth are almost always problems with supernatural things. That's the problem. And problems of the supernatural are always problems with the God of the Bible. And if you have a problem with the God of the Bible, you have a trouble. It just runs the list. If you miss this, you will miss the whole point of what we're doing. And so, friend, what should we learn from this marvelous event? And how does this apply to us today? Well, the big idea today is simply this. It is that as Christians, we must face the fact that the denial of the virgin birth is a denial of Jesus as the, the Christ, as the Savior, the Messiah. So the story of God being born of a virgin and killed by men is the most unbelievable story ever told. Only God himself could tell such a story. Yet the life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin birth on one side and a resurrection, an empty tomb on another. And, and, and Adrian Rogers, who is, who's a quotable son of Baptist guy from years gone by, said it this way. He said, quote, I wouldn't give you half a hallelujah for your chance of heaven if you don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the Bible says. Jesus is born of a virgin so that we might be born again. He came to earth that we would go to heaven. He became like us so that we could be like his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is all those things. He is the eternal God. He's virgin born. He's sinless. There's a substitutionary death. There's a bodily resurrection. There's a glorious ascension. There's a sovereign Lord. There's a coming judgment. There's a final judge. And that is what it is. The virgin birth, and I will admit this to you as a pastor, stifles our logic. It provokes our wonder. But as the old hymn says, Oh, come let us adore him. Let us not scrutinize him. I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, which means I believe that Jesus is fully human, He's fully divine, which means I believe in the virgin birth, which means I believe in the supernaturality of Christianity, which means I believe in the, in the one true God really does exist. And so, friends, He orders and defines all things. So today, and that's a long intro, but today we want to see four divine actions of God that continues today as we worship and serve him. The first is this. God continues to surprise us through the supernatural. Then we'll see God continues to speak to his word, to his people. Number three, we'll, that he continues to sustain his guarantees. And finally, in verses 24 and 25, God continues to support obedient servants. Let's see that first point there. God continues to surprise through the supernatural. That word supernatural there is, is very interesting. Matthew begins... Uh, we didn't do this. We preached on this a few years ago. But Matthew begins in verse 18 with a genealogy. And he brings it to this point. Verse 1 affirms that Jesus is the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. Now in verses 18 and proceeding, he tells us how Jesus is coming to place. Giving us the main persons and events involved. It's not the same as Luke. But it's in Matthew's writing to a Jewish gospel that he brings this to bear. And so you notice there are several wonderful things here. You see that God blesses purity. You see that there's a birth. There's an origin. There's a beginning that's happening. There's some sort of thing happening. You see the name Jesus, or which is Hebrew for Joshua, Yeshua, mentioned three times here in this passage. He's the anointed one. And it says Mary was betrothed. And families in the ancient Near East usually arranged the marriages of their children. That, that was very common back then. 
Young men were often pledged by 12 or 18 and often married by 18, about the time they'd be a junior or uh, probably a senior in high school in our culture. But it was a legal arrangement. and It, it, it was less than a consummated marriage, but more than, a, more than an engagement, if that makes sense. And in a formal ceremony before witnesses, the couple entered into a marital contract. And it could only be broken by divorce. And you see Joseph pondering that. You see him pondering that in verse 19 as he goes through. And though they had not come together to consummate their marriage. And, and the betrothal period between the engagement and the actual consummation of the marriage usually lasted about a year. And so any type of marital or sexual unfaithfulness during that time was considered an act of adultery and was, was punishable, according to Deuteronomy 22, by death. You could be stoned to death. So this was a very serious matter that Joseph, being a just man, was having to consider. But the scriptures are clear to Mary's purity. This was before they came together. It was before they came together. And Luke uh, 1, 26-37, we're not going to read it today. You can go read it later. But is even more adamant about this. She was pure sexually until um, the birth of Christ. And, and it wasn't until after that that they, they officially consummated their marriage. So what does this mean? It's, it's another call for us, church, to be pure. Because purity among God's people is essential because we're meant to reflect God himself. Mary is just a human. She's a sinner like us. There's no deity assigned to her or special place in heaven. But her life does scream pure. And Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you want people to see the Lord as they saw eventually through Mary and her faith, then you must be pure. God still does the supernatural. We're still on point number one. God also blesses humility. She was found to be a child of the Holy Spirit. Upon this woman and no other, for whatever reason in God's providence, it was God who found someone whose purity and humility of life warranted his utter and complete and, 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 and once for all unique blessing. I mean, you can read and hear the words of Mary. And again, read Luke 1, especially 38, uh, chapter 1, 38, verses 46 to 49 as well. But the language of Luke and Matthew are the same. She, Mary, uh, remained chaste and unrestrained. There's no hint of divine rape uh, in Greek mythology through Apollo. There's no lust of a pagan god like Zeus who descended upon Diana in a rain of gold and caused her to conceive and bear a son. This is not like the, any myth surrounding any ancient culture. This is a regular Joe girl who has super faith. It, it has super faith, and, and, and that's what we have. And so... This is not Buddha whose mother had a white elephant in her body and she conceived Buddha. This is not, uh, as the old historical uh, false facts say, that Jesus was the illegitimate child of a Roman soldier. No, this certainly was not the biological son of a righteous Joseph. This birth was indeed different. It was a birth like no other. It was once and more of a demonstration of the fact that God still does the supernatural. And he does today. Every birth. It is something that is a miracle of God. But we all need this humility. We need to know that God still works supernaturally. And I'm not talking about, you know, sign gifts and that kind of thing. I'm talking about the fact that God still works in this world. God still blesses purity. God still blesses humility as we see here in verse 18 through Mary. And friends, that's what we're to pray for. We all need humility. Some of us are going to embrace it willingly. Some of us will be, it'll be forced upon us uh, by God himself. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said, uh, if you will not be humble, God will humble you. And that's what it is. 
Philippians 2.8 reminds us what Jesus did here. Is that being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friend, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you need to know this. The people that God called in his life, in an early life, were just people. But the, but the one in the womb of that, that regular Joe girl, Mary, was none like any other. He was virgin-born, sinless. He's the Son of God. God continues to surprise, as he did then, today, through the supernatural. And so you need to see that as well. The next thing, not only does he surprise the supernatural, look at verses 19 through 21. God continues to speak his word to his people. God continues to speak his word, secondly, to his people. You know, Luke tells the birth story primarily from Mary's perspective. Matthew really tells it primarily through Joseph's perspective. And that's a, that's a good note to note because this is something that is always going to be on the forefront. God will speak to Joseph and do it repeatedly. He does it through dreams. And I wrote these references down. Verse 20, chapter 1. He does it through uh, the wise men in chapter 2, verse 12. He does it to Joseph in 2.13, 2.19, and 2.22. So, Pastor, does God still speak through dreams? You know, look, God is a God of providence. I don't think it's normative. It doesn't happen all the time. But I think there's something to be said that God may still do that to his glory. But don't you don't trust in dreams or those things. You trust in the sufficient word of God. If it contradicts that, that dream is not of God. But as God honored Mary to be the mother, God also honored Joseph to be the father. He continues to speak his word to his people. So you see how Joseph responds. He's living in verse 19 in a way that pleases God. It says, Joseph, her husband. They were legally bound here again. Being a just man, and again, that's one who honored, he obeyed the law, he was a faithful Jewish man. He also was merciful in compassion. He basically had two choices. He he, he, he must and would divorce her, but he wanted to do it privately. He knew he had to do it. He just wanted to do it in a way that honored God. And so Joseph loved God. He loved Mary as well. And clearly he did not know yet what was going to happen. He didn't know what was going to go, go on. He was confused. He was heartbroken. You can imagine that situation. You know, we have movies that make lots of money about even more dire situations. But it would just, just be a confusing time for him. But here's a man who lived to please God as a carpenter and bless others. He really did. No wonder God picked him as well as Mary to entrust the care of his son to him, the, the, the divine son of God, Jesus Christ. And so there really are three choices that we see here. There really are three choices. As, as Joseph lived for God, as God was speaking his word to his people, Joseph's life reveals to us three options. We can live for ourselves. We can live for everyone else, or we can live for God. And, and our lives are passing. We must work while it is day. Night comes when no one works. And so I urge you, as he did with Joseph, to, to, by the mercies of God, to live for Christ. Now, we've got to be careful here. We, we are not to pattern our lives after Joseph because Joseph is a sinner. But wasn't it, wasn't it Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ? And those of you who know our intern this year, Lane, Lane Paul, who preached about three weeks ago, he wrote a paper on this. And it, uh, he gave me the snapshot of it the other day. But friends, we can pray, Lord, I'm not Joseph. I'm not the, the earthly father of, of, of your son, Father, uh, as you send him virgin born. But Lord, help me to live for you. May I live for you as Joseph did, because you still speak your word to your people. But, but Joseph also listened in a way that pleased the Father. Notice verses 20 and 21. It says he thought about these things. He thought about these things. 
I mean, what must have gone through his mind? He didn't have social media to post a question on Facebook or Instagram or uh, WhatsApp or, or whatever, Snapchat for people to answer. But he had to, you know, why did God allow this? Did, 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 did I do something wrong? He doesn't know at this point, of course, that Mary is, 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 is carrying the Son of God. But it is a question he had to answer. It is a question. So an angel of the Lord, God's messenger, appeared to him in a, in a dream. And dreams will become Joseph's nightmares to some extent, but it also is his salvation. He comes to him and says something very clear. He says, Joseph, son of David. And that connects back up to the, the, the genealogy of chapter 1. And ten times in Matthew, that word son of David is, is, is used. But it's, it's nine of those ten times, they're in reference to Jesus. But the one time here is in reference to Joseph. He says, this angel says, do not be afraid. And friend, you need to be reminded that that is the command of Scripture. That the most frequent command of Scripture is do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. In these days of COVID and pandemic and all that's going on, don't be afraid. So why should he not be afraid to take Mary as his wife? He explains it to her very quickly. He says her pregnancy is of the Holy Spirit. He says that she will have a son and that you, speaking to Joseph, will call him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And man's greatest need is salvation. And from their enemy's sin, it's not the Romans or some politician. It's all those things. And you shall call him Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. Psalm 130, verse 7 and 8 is the background. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him there is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This was the great Jewish expectation. A Messiah would come and redeem Israel from the tyranny of Rome or whatever oppressor was at that time, there is little or no expectation that the Messiah would come, as the angel says here, to forgive people of their sins. That's part of it. But people wanted that release from the politics and all the things going on. Yet Matthew 20, 28 says that the Son of Man did not come, Jesus speaking, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Give his life a ransom for many. I'm grateful for this dream that Joseph recorded and, and told and passed down and was clear and articulate in because he lived to please God. He lived to please his Father. God still speaks to his word to his people. And friends, today God still speaks through his word. This thing right here, this Bible right here that you have, you need to get in it. You need to be in it. You need to live in it. I don't care if you listen to it. I don't care if you read it out loud to yourself. You silently read it. You, of course, read it as a family. But you get in the Word of God. Look, to read your Bible is to listen to God. To not read your Bible is to not listen to God. Are you listening? I mean, really, are you listening? God is teaching us something. He's showing us something. He's always preparing for something every hour. And we need to live ready to see and we need to listen and learn. That's what Joseph did. Aren't you grateful that God still speaks his word today? We don't need anything extra from the, the Bible. Is, is a close, We call it a closed canon. That means that, that the Bible is sufficient from Genesis to Revelation. We don't have any other books to write, but God still speaks. It's a living and active word. It's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword uh, dividing bone and marrow and soul, as Hebrews 4.12 says. So that's what we need to do. But friends, we, we're just kind of getting into the, the building blocks of our big idea. Remember, that is that to deny the virgin birth is to deny Jesus is the Christ. But we have seen first off that God continues to surprise in the supernatural. 
We've seen, secondly, that God continues to speak His Word through His people. But I want you to see in verses 22 and 23 that God continues to sustain His promises. God, or sustain His guarantees, rather. God continues to, thirdly, to sustain His guarantees. So verses 22 or 23 are the words of the angel or Matthew's exclamation of what is happening. It's a quotation. It's a clear connection from the Old Testament over to the, the New Testament, what's happening here in the virgin birth. But what we discover should not surprise us. God keeps his promises. That's what we are told. God gave his word in the scripture. I mean, note this. All this would be fulfilled. All this would be fulfilled. That's what was spoken. And it was spoken, as it says in verse 22, by the Lord's prophet Isaiah. Here in a single, single verse is the clear doctrine of biblical inspiration. It is the Lord speaking, God speaking through the prophet. It's not Isaiah, it's the Lord speaking. And the Bible is the word of God written in the words of men. It is 100% divine, it's 100% human. As Paul said, I'm quoting here, 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, correction, instruction, and instruction in righteousness. And as Peter says in 2 Peter 1.20, quote, knowing this, first off, that no prophecy of Scripture is ever given by private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God gave His word, and God keeps His word. Remember, you cannot ignore God's word and pretend you're passionate about it. If you're passionate about Jesus, you're going to be passionate about his word. This is what 2 Timothy 11 through 13 says. This saying is trustworthy. If we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Guys, this is the written word of God. And this is what it says. It said this would happen. So in verse 23, we see that God kept his word by a Savior. God kept his word by a Savior. This is quoting Isaiah 7, 14 that we read in our, our, our in-person drive-in service this morning. In verse 22, we're introduced to the first of ten Old Testament quotations that will be uh, used by Matthew as kind of a formula. This comes to pass and it might be fulfilled, spoken through the prophet, or it was written, those type of things. But the point that Matthew wishes to convey and make here is that Jesus was the subject of the great Emmanuel prophecy of Isaiah 7. The child born of a virgin is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is sustaining his promises he made hundreds of years before, fulfilled in Mary. And he would come in the midst of, of, of the crazy things happening to his people, but ultimately he would overcome all his enemies. Isaiah 9, 6-7, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, the government will be on his shoulders. But the point here is crucial. The son who is given, Isaiah 9, verse 6, and although he's born of a lowly virgin in Israel, he would be Emmanuel, he'd be the, the mighty God that was prophesied. So it's not surprising to find that Matthew links the prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14 with the birth of Jesus. But of all elements here, the greatest stress lies upon his deity, lies upon him being God, this Jesus, the Emmanuel. He is with us. So by virtue of the virgin birth, but, but let no one ever forget that he is God 
with us. Jesus didn't just come as some man. He came as God with us. And I believe we should acknowledge that the original context of Isaiah's prophecy may not have been exclusively about the the virgin birth of Jesus. It was the year 734, and King Ahaz of Judah is terrified to learn that Israel has formed an alliance against him in the northern kingdom, and Isaiah is set to reassure. And Isaiah and, and, and King Ahaz is told that God is in control. And that alliance that, that the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel has with other people will not succeed. And Ahaz is told to request a sign from the Lord as a means of confirming this, but he refuses to do it. Ironically, he refuses to do it. And annoyed by the king's stubbornness, Isaiah declares that the Lord will give a sign. A, an Alma, or a maiden of marriageable age, will conceive his son and call his name Emmanuel. He curds and honey, it says, uh, before reaching any age of discernment. But before this, the land of, of the two dreaded kings will be forsaken. Now, should this prophecy be understood in Isaiah 7.14? I'm, I'm just going to sum this up quickly. Just about Jesus, or was it also about them? Well, it's quite possible this had a dual fulfillment. Initially in Isaiah's day, and ultimately at the birth of Jesus. So, what you need to know, and the takeaway of this is that you need to know, is simply this. Is that your Savior came to earth and walked in your shoes. That there was a little bit of element in Isaiah's day, but the biggest thing is, and the mystery of the Incarnation is succinctly and yet sufficiently articulated in Isaiah 7.14. But your Savior came to walk in your shoes. He knows what you're facing. He understands what kind of mercy you need at just the right time. You can trust Him. And He is fully human. She will bring forth a son. The virgin shall bear child, and she will that will be her firstborn child. That is what we know. Christ is not only truly human, he's perfectly human. He, only he has fulfilled the vocation of a human beings to love the Lord God above everything else, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that makes him the most human person, if you will, who's ever lived. Because only he has done what human beings were made to do, and that is glorify God with every fiber of your being. And But he's also fully divine. He's called God with us. Jesus is fully human, and he's fully divine. And so because he's God with us in the cradle, he can be God for us on the cross. Jesus Christ is the most remarkable person in all of creation. He wasn't created. He's uncreated. He's the creator, actually. But he had no human father, but he had an earthly mother. He had no heavenly mother, but he had a heavenly father. He was older than his mother, as old as his father. And all of this made possible by the virgin conception. And you know, it's fascinating to think how God has brought various persons into the world. But the virgin birth completes the circle. What is at stake then with respect to the virgin birth? Let me just get right down to it. What is at stake is the trustworthiness of Scripture. That if this didn't happen, then we can't believe what the Bible says about other things. Secondly, the legitimacy or illegitimacy of Jesus' birth. In other words, we have to have it as written or nothing else of the details of his life makes sense. The sinlessness of the Son of God. Jesus did not inherit the, 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 the sin that passed through an earthly father that was bypassed in the virgin birth. The, 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 the wedding, if you will, of deity and humanity is at stake. If Jesus wasn't virgin born, then he can't be fully God and fully man because of those factors. And also the salvation of sinners. If this virgin birth didn't happen, then what the angels said about it will never come to pass. And, and also, the, the curse of Jeconiah. 
which which is from Isaiah, but Jesus is legally in this line, but not naturally of it. The virgin birth makes this possible. So God continues to surprise the supernatural. God continues to speak his word to his people. God continues to sustain his guarantees. But the last point, the fourth point I want you to see, is that God still honors obedience. You know, I want you to notice the speed, the suddenness, and the surprise of these elements. They must have surprised Joseph right away. But at least we would have understood. But where he thought about these things in verse 20 and verse 24, he leaps into action with the word of God he's received, the promises fulfilled, and what an incredible example he sets for us all. He really does. And we should obey immediately. He awoke from his sleep, not his dream. He awoke from his sleep. He obeyed the word of the angel of the Lord. He took Mary without hesitation to be his wife. There is no delay. There's no debate. There's no discussion here. It is simply action. We should obey immediately. When God speaks, we obey. Whether we understand everything or not, we just go. And we go do it. And so we should also obey completely. Notice verse 25. It says he honored Mary and the child until Jesus' birth. He went beyond the command of the angel. He named, though, the, the, he named what the angel said to name Jesus. He named him Jesus, Emmanuel. He is God with us. It tells us who he is. The name Jesus literally means God saves and tells us what he does. And friends, religion is different than that. Religion does not have this Jesus. Religion says, if I obey, then God will love and accept me. The gospel is, though, I am loved and accepted, therefore I wish to obey. And so what do we know? We know that the simplicity of our Savior's birth and his name is a remarkable thing. We have examined his birth, but considering his name, men make much of names. There's Alexander the Great, there's Caesar, Augustus, there's Charles the Bold, there's Richard the Lionhearted, you name it. There, there, there are those people. But what a contrast and how different it is with Jesus. The virgin birth is essential to Christianity because it has always been essential to Christianity. It's been a historical marker from the beginning. And second, the gospel writers clearly believe that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was conceived. We don't know how the Christ child came to be. We just know it was of the Holy Spirit. But we do know that Mary understood this. She said, how will this be since I am a virgin? And so, thirdly, the virgin birth demonstrates that Jesus was truly human, but also truly divine. It's necessary to secure both a real human nature and a completely divine nature. And fourth, the virgin birth is essential because it means Jesus did not inherit the curse of depravity that clings to Adam's race. Hebrews 4, 15 and 7, 26 and 27 says that Jesus was made like us in every way except for sin. So what we know as we close is that every human father begets a son or a daughter with his sin nature if God allows them. And we may not understand completely how this works, but this is the way of the world after the fall. Sinners beget sinners. Sinners birth sinners. Always. So if Joseph was the real father of Jesus, or Mary had been sleeping around with Larry the cable guy, Jesus is not spotless. He's not innocent, and he's not perfectly holy. And if that were the case, we have no mediator, we have no Christ righteousness, we have no gospel, we have no forgiveness of sins, and no salvation. So yes, the virgin birth is essential. Do you believe it, or do you not? That's really what it comes down to. And if you're not a Christian... Yeah, you admittedly, you're going to struggle with some of the stuff because it's going to really bring to the forefront about what you believe. But if you are a Christian, you may not understand how all this works. 
But the one thing you do need to understand is this, is that God himself literally had to come down to this earth to save you from your sins. That's what you need to know. And the only way to go to heaven is to go through him, that you would turn from your sin, you'd repent from your sin, and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and ask him for forgiveness of sins and he will save you. God must do that work in your heart. But the gospel is this, is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal and everlasting life. If you have questions about that, if we can help you about that, smash the message button down there. Call or text us, 816-368-1330. We'd love to connect with you. But if you're a Christian, you hold on to this doctrine. It is precious, not because of the time of the year it is we're preaching this, but because for all eternity, this was always the plan. God's got this. God still continues to work through the supernatural. He still continues to speak through his word. He still sustains his promises, and he also continues to bless obedience. He continues to, to bless obedience. Let's pray, and we'll close out together today. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Father, be glorified, be lifted high. We thank you for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. Father, we pray today that someone watching us may come to Christ, and those who do know Christ would grow. Lord, use this for your glory, we pray. Thank you for the virgin birth, the essential nature it is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. Again, my name is Darren Smith. On behalf of our staff at Tower View Baptist Church, towerviewkc.com, we appreciate you joining us today. For those of you who are at service this morning in person, or if you're listening to this later on, thank you again. If you have any questions, please contact us at the, the, the ways described. We'd glad to get back with you. God bless, guys, and have a great day.